Good morning, South Point. It is so good to be with you. God created a beautiful day today, didn't he? And we ought to be rejoicing in it, right? Okay, two-minute warning. This is for the guys. Gave you a two-week warning, but this is Sunday, so I'm giving you a two-minute warning. You better get those Valentine gifts. All right? I know how we are. We wait to the last minute. You got two. That's it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke or phones, wherever you're at. Luke 22nd chapter. We're going to take a look at the topic. I know that I, I give absolutely current event type stuff as illustrations. And so, you know, today's going to be one of these days where it's absolutely, it's right here current, all right? When I was a youth minister, <clears throat> about half a century ago, I think, I saw some stuff going on. Now, I don't know your church, so I'm not pointing at anybody, okay? You hear me up front? I don't know anybody. Well, I mean, I'm getting to know some people, and y'all are some really good people. But as far as knowing stuff, now nah, I'm kind of the rookie on the block, okay? But I had to deal with something called jealousy. Oh, my word. If one girl looked at another girl's boyfriend sideways, she just got all, you know. Yes, that too. Or if a guy said something about a girl, even though it wasn't bad, He'd bow up, you know. Oh, and there was always this. I know things have changed in a few years, okay? Hopefully you don't see anything like this, but we had multiple Sunday school teachers, Bible study teachers, whatever that group is you want to call that group, but we called them Sunday school teachers, you know, my current memory. And one would say, oh, I like this one better than that one. And somebody else, well, I, I like this one better than that one. And somebody else would join in, yeah, I like this one too. And then one of them would turn around, well, I like them better than anybody. And then inevitably something would happen where someone would say or do something and cause this guy to go home and not come back to the church until his feelings got better, but it was as if somebody made him not look or feel as cool as he perceived himself to be. You know what's common with all this? It's jealousy. Now, I'm not just picking on youth. Please don't take it that way. Because I think some of those youth have grown up since then. And believe it or not, it still happens with adults. And it's amazing how sometimes Satan can get into our lives and begin to get a foothold because we let him and we don't take care of something. Would it surprise you to know that Jesus had to deal with jealousy with the apostles? 
Will I surprise you? I'm just going to read one verse real quick out of what I want to read and set up for this, this message today. It's verse 24 out of Luke 22. And it says there, A dispute arose among them, among the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And I'm thinking, wow. Even with Jesus' apostles, the disciples that were there, Jesus had to deal with this. Fortunately, and this is the great news, doesn't matter if you're in youth, adult, wherever you're at, God can bring a change to us that can bring those relationships back together. Amen? I mean, that's just wonderful news. Let me read, and I need to go back to the 14th verse, Luke 22, 14, just to kind of set this up, okay? And I'm going to stop a couple times before I get to the end. So begin verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you that I will not drink again until the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave it and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to me. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began questioning among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And you can almost see the dispute coming. Peter might be over there going, it wasn't me. I didn't have my hands on the table at the same time. And, and, and John might be over here going, well, well, my hand was on the table, but there's no way I would betray Jesus. Bartholomew's over here going, what are y'all talking about? And then, and then here's the next verse. I mean, right out of the chute. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Peter would go, hey, you know what? can't be me. Jesus chose me first. John would go, yeah, but he loves me. I'm, I'm the beloved disciple. Can't be me. Bartholomew's over here again going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought I was the greatest. I mean, we had a good, close relationship here. And the other 12 were like, well, 11 of them were like, no, nah, can't be me, can't be me. I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. I didn't have my hand on the table. Judas is probably sitting there going, 
He's not getting in this conversation. He already knows he's that person. But can you see this thing that Jesus was talking about just escalate to a dispute? I'm the greatest. Jesus goes on and he says this to them. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. We'll talk about that. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. We're going to talk about that too. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus' words here help us to know we can mend relationships when jealousy gets in here and, and causes a fraction between them, a division between you and someone else or you, this group and some other group. Satan's trying to get that foothold. Don't let him do it. Because Jesus has some words in here that are going to help us to deal with jealousy when it separates friends. First off, let's take a look at how Jesus teaches that the greatest should be humble servants. This is something probably, if I could say this is something you really need as you're going into D-Now youth, this is something really important. Humble yourselves, okay? So kind of pay attention here. Disciples disputed over the patterns of the pagan world. Jesus even mentioned that, that the, the Gentiles act like this, but you're not supposed to act like this. In the structure of the Gentile society, the one who was great or noble or honored, uh, they would possess and exercise themselves and their power over others. Jesus is saying no. No. You're not supposed to be like that. Jesus teaches the normal patterns of society are to be completely reversed in the fellowship of believers. The normal patterns of society are not to be followed by God's disciples, Christians. He says the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. That's a really important verse for all of us. You know, it, it makes me think at least of two people in Scripture that we can point to to understand this a little bit better. That the oldest should act like the youngest. You see, in society, 
The oldest was given more, more rewards, more of the inheritance, more. If you were the youngest son, you were related, but you had all the menial tasks assigned to you. Take the trash out, sweep the front porch, go take care of the goats and milk the cows. The youngest did all the menial tasks. He was the least important in the family. But he was family. Two people come to my mind that I want to just kind of point out. David is one of them. You remember back in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 16, God told Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be king of Israel. Remember that? So Samuel obeys God, goes to Jesse's house. Jesse calls his sons in front of him and has them pass before Samuel from the oldest down, one at a time. And God was going to let Samuel know, this is the one. Well, the oldest passes. He's not the one. And then the next one, and then the next one. All the sons that Jesse had gathered before Samuel, they weren't the one. So he turns to Jesse and says, do you have any more sons? Well, yeah, our our youngest son, David, he's out tending the sheep. Go get him. So they called David. That probably took a little while to get somebody to change places with him and everything. David comes, he passes before Samuel. God says, anoint him. Anoint David, king of Israel. There's something important in what just happened here. God is letting us know this person can be anointed to be king of Israel even though he is the least in a family in that society. And the one who thought he was the greatest found out real quick he's not. You hear that? And Jesus is saying we need to be like the youngest. I will anoint you. I will take care of you. I will make you a leader and a great person. Another person that comes to mind is Elihu. In the book of Job, 32nd chapter, you can read about this. Job's so-called three good friends came to somehow or another convince Job that he had sinned and that he needed to confess his sin. They talked. Job replied. They talked. Job replied. I mean, just over and over for chapter after chapter after chapter. And never once did, did Job say anything negative about God. Yeah, he wished that he had not been born. I mean, he's sitting here in ashes Boils from head to toe, taking broken pottery and scraping them open so that they'll drain out and so that they'll heal, but more pop up. He is in misery, but he does not say a negative thing about God. His three best friends could not convince him that he had a sin that he needed to confess. Elihu is sitting here, the youngest, waiting, waiting, waiting. And 
probably from the words that he conveys here, getting pretty frustrated with these three best friends because they're getting nowhere with Job. And when they finally shut up, he being the youngest now has an opportunity where he can speak. And boy, does he let them have it. He lets the three older people who didn't have enough wisdom to convince Job that he needed to confess sin. He got into Job. I mean, you read that and you're going, whoa, whoa. But that was part of that society. The younger waited on all those who were older. I remember going to family reunions and kind of, you know, somewhat of the same thing kind of happened. We'd run in and out until somebody finally tell us, you either go out or stay in. Well, we would go out. But when we came in, we came in for some water. Now, you need to remember that, I guess I'm talking maybe a few years ago, you did not waste food. And you did not turn that water faucet on unless you had something under it to catch the water and you turned it off and made sure it quit dripping because you didn't even waste the water. You hear what I'm saying? So we, the oldest, I had three older cousins than me. I'm now the patriarch. Three, two years older than me, boys. And I'm going to tell you, they were all in front of me. And the first one would get the dipper off the wall and get that water going and take as much water as he wanted. And whatever his water was left in that dipper, he passed to the next person who did the same thing. You never poured anything out. You didn't wash the dishes in the meantime, you know. You just drank your water and you just passed it on. A lot of cousins were in line, a line of cousins waiting to go back out. And the youngest was last. Jesus is saying to us, the way of the ancient society is over. I want to teach you a new teaching here. I want to teach you something that is just the opposite of what the society has been telling you all these years. This pagan society, nope. You, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you need to become humble. And you need to become a humble servant. Now this was totally opposite when, of the society then. In fact, it kind of smacks on our society somewhat, doesn't it? Ron uh, Pinkerton, he describes a near accident that he had while he was hang gliding. He had launched his hang glider, and and you know how they do, they kind of run off of a little cliff. They may not be too far up in the air, you know, 20, 30 feet in a lot of places, and and they get this updraft of wind, they climb a little bit, fly around a lot. Well, all of a sudden, he had this updraft of wind that took him 4,200 feet up. Yeah. You know in a hang glider, that's probably not the altitude you want to be at. So as he was descending, as he was descending, he caught the opposite airflow. And it forced him into a dive. He was plummeting to the ground. Let me quote what he says. 
I was falling at an alarming rate, trapped in an airborne riptide. I was going to crash. And then I saw him. A red-tailed hawk. He was six feet off my right wing. And I looked at him. He was fighting the same gust I was. And suddenly he banked and he flew straight downwind. Downwind? If there's any good wind, it's going to be upwind. That hawk is committing suicide. 200 feet. From nowhere the thought entered my mind, follow the hawk. It went against everything I knew about flying. But now my knowledge was useless. I was at the mercy of the wind. I followed the hawk. 100 feet. Suddenly the hawk gained altitude. And for a split second, I seemed to be suspended motionless in space. And then a warm surge of air started pushing the glider upward. I was stunned. Nothing I knew as a pilot could explain this phenomenon. But it was true. I was rising. I was rising. On occasion, we're going to have these downdrafts, these reversals, these uh, humiliating experiences in our life. And our first go-to thought is, let me get over it. I want to get above it. I want, to, I want to get over what's going on here. And I don't care if I'm getting over someone else or over something else. I've got to have control. That's our go-to thought a lot of times. But Jesus is telling us no. Just the opposite. God's Word is telling us, dive. Be a humble servant. Dive under the hand of God. And He will send a thermal to lift us where we need to be. When jealousy has entered life, it typically separates you from friends. Control becomes part of the issue. I'm better is part of the issue. I'm thinking more correctly than someone else can be part of the issue. How about this? Craving to have the popularity of a cheerleader or a football player. Craving to have that promotion. And society says to us, you've got a goal. You've got a five-year plan, 10-year plan, 20-year plan. Meet your goal. And it doesn't matter who you step on or over to get to your goal. That's your goal. That's what our society tells us in the workforce. But Jesus is telling us something different. He's saying to us, humble yourselves. You need to conquer this jealousy because it's not healthy for relationships. You want to have a healthy relationship with someone else? Get rid of the jealousy. You're not better than someone else. You are the same in God's eyes, created in His image. He cares about each of us, and He's put us all on the same equal plane. Amen? I don't care what color you are, what race you are, how old you are, or how young you are. God created us in His image and put us on the same plane. 
And he wants us to get rid of this thing called jealousy so that our relationships can heal. And then Jesus teaches us that we're to stand by one another during their trials. Wow. I mean, that's, I'm going to say a little bit more than that about that, but wow. Jesus chose this world and his lifestyle because God had him on a path for the good of mankind. Amen? I, I think at some age he finally realized the cross is in my future. I don't know when that happened. I just know that Jesus, during his life here on earth, has been described as fully man and fully God. And we can see this throughout his life. But he had trials. He had people come after him. He had people who did not like him. And his disciples, they saw this. They stood by his side. Pharisees probably topped the list as far as people who wanted to get rid of Jesus early on. And, and the disciples saw after they came after Jesus, yeah, Jesus could handle things on his own, but the disciples were there by his side. In fact, even Jesus says at one point, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. Verse 28. You stood by me in my trials. Unfortunately, at the time when Jesus was arrested, they fled. I, I, don't, I don't want you to consider your thoughts about gambling as I present this, but I'll, I'm presenting this because I want you to hear something else. On Friday morning, Robert Cunningham ate a meal of Lugini and clams. I don't know why you're eating that in the morning, but that's what the paper said. And he was at his favorite eating place. It was Sal's Pizzeria, and he was a regular customer. He came every week. And he always got the same waitress who had been at that place for 19 years, and her name was Phyllis Penza. Uh, and, and after the meal, Cunningham said to her, uh, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll either give you a tip or we can pick out these lotto, lotto ticket numbers together, and if we win, I'll split half of it with you. And, and the, the thing that week was $6 million. Now, I don't know if, she, if he was a bad tipper or not. That kind of crossed my mind as I'm reading this. But she decided, I'll take a chance on the lotto. Friday evening paper came out. And sure enough, the numbers that they had picked out, they won the lotto in New York, $6 million. And now Cunningham is sitting here with this thought, do I, do I honor the promise that I made to her? Do I give her a $3 million tip? And it didn't take long for him to say, yes, I made a promise, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm a, I'm a police sergeant, I'm a husband, I'm a father of four, grandfather of three, I won't back out. Do you know how important it was to make a vow to the Lord in the Old Testament? Anybody? A few people? You needed to honor your vow. God was right on top of that. 
You made a vow to God, he expected you to carry it out. You know what? It's the same as us making a promise today. Hey, I'm going to promise to stand by your side, and I'm going to promise to stand by your side. I'm going to walk with you as you walk through this. I promise I'll be there. It's just as important. That's a vow. It's just as important for us to keep our promises today. Cunningham did. We're not, we're not supposed to break our promises to our friends. But unfortunately, like the disciples who abandoned Jesus after he was arrested, sometimes we do abandon our friends. Now, I've been in ministry a couple months shy of 38 years. I can tell you that I have witnessed way too many people get divorced. And it's a a sad, sad thing. So youth, you know I'm not talking about you now, okay? All right. And so typically what happens, things really get in a bad way before one or both of them come to the pastor and say, I need some help. Um, and, and sometimes I'm thinking, I really wish you had to come a year or two ago. Uh, but here, here they are. And so here's what I see. They're already on this path toward divorce. They're hurting Families are already being ripped apart. People are taking sides. So now couples are no longer supporting, walking with them as a couple. They're walking with one or the other or not at all. I'm more jealous of my family and making sure nothing bad happens to my family. I'm more jealous of my job and I don't want anything to to hurt my job. And I'm going to back away from both of you. And so I saw that time and time again, people breaking their promise to walk with them, to stand with them during their trials. Jesus saying, no, no, you made a vow, you made a promise. Folks, you need to stand with one another. Why? Because you need to be an encourager to someone. You need to remind them what God's Word says when they're starting to go down a bad path. You need to be there to help love on them and walk with them and pray with them. And Jesus is saying to us, this is important. Don't let jealousy come in here to where you think about just your world. Here's another world over here where you've made a promise to walk with them and encourage them and love on them. Because if they ever needed it before, they certainly need it right now. We are to have a spirit of humility. That doesn't mean meekness. But we need to humble ourselves to the point that we can get ourselves under the hand of God and allow Him to lead us, to strengthen us, to empower us to be a part of what He wants, not what Satan wants or where Satan wants to lead us. Jealousy should not separate friends. And I can tell you, God can help heal those times where there's tension. I've seen that a lot. It is beautiful. You want to know how it happens a lot of times? You know if there's tension between you and someone else. 
You know that already. You know that there's a little, little crack here between your relation with someone else. But if you'll walk over to that person and say, I'm sorry, it's like this thing just closes back together. It's like this relation has now bonded. It's like you put flex seal on it or something, you know? You ain't getting it apart. Or maybe it's Gorilla Glue. I'm not sure which one, but it's stuck, okay? When you apologize to someone else, whether you're in the wrong or not, you recognize there's some rift between you and someone else. An apology from either way goes a long, long way to the healing process. That's humbling yourself and allowing God to lead in that relationship. Can I say, God's telling us two things. Humble ourselves and stand with others. You know, your promises that you've made do those things. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk off this stage. We're going to have some people up here. And if you'd like to come pray with one of them, I, I recommend you do that. I mean, something may be on your heart. You don't want Satan to have a foothold in this area. You've got some important things coming up, like youth, DNA, and everything. You want, you want to be in the right fellowship with God before you ever get there. Adults, you've got some things going on at work, things going on in your family. You need to make sure that there's not a jealousy that's beginning to cause a crack between you and someone else. I'm going to ask you during this invitation time, if you want to pray with someone here, great, please do. But if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's someone in this sanctuary you need to walk over to and apologize, walk over to and try to bring that relationship back together. I guarantee you that's exactly what God would have you to do is humble yourself so that he can lead you and mend the things that are going on and get rid of Satan and get rid of this thing called jealousy. Would you do that? Let's pray and then we're going to stand and we're going to respond however God leads our heavenly father thank you. you you help us to see in scripture so many things that we may have read over and not really taken to heart but as we look at scripture passages like this one that you have before us today we do recognize that there was jealousy that even Jesus had to deal with how can we think for a moment, that that's not something that Satan will use in our lives today as well. Lord, bind Satan and heal us from this thing called jealousy or any other thing that's causing a rift, a, a, a tension between us and someone else. Lord, heal our land. Be with families that they can grow stronger and stronger in you because of being humble and taking a stand with others. May you be glorified and honored and praised as we respond to your word in our hearts of what we need to do next. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.